Hi, everyone, and welcome to Crypto Beat, where we bring you all the latest news in crypto. My name is Naomi Brockwell. You're watching NBTV, and uh, I'm so happy to have our live show back. We come to you every Thursday at 4 p.m. talking about privacy, and then every Friday at 4 p.m. talking about crypto. Now, today's show, to give you a summary of what we're going to be covering, we obviously are talking about the same thing that everyone is talking about right now all over the news cycle. Uh, we have the war going on in Ukraine, uh, really devastating to see so many people getting hurt there. So we'll dive into the details. But in particular, we're going to be talking about the role of crypto there. There have been DAOs set up. There have been lots of donations. There are in Patreon um, campaigns that have been shut down. There have been ATM runs. People can't get their cash out. So we're going to be talking about the value proposition of crypto in that context and diving into all of that, looking at NATO's involvement. Whew, it's going to, be, going to be a hefty segment, everyone. Um, and then our uh, second blog, for the, the day, we're going to be talking about some really interesting developments going on with special economic zones. And I'm really, really delighted to have a special guest on the show. Uh, so I will be chatting to Joe McKinney. He is the CEO of Green Earth Zone Inc. And we're talking about what the Catawba Nation is doing. They're creating special economic zones that could potentially be the next crypto hub uh, for the world. So we'll find out more information about that. But let's dive into it here. A lot to cover. Oh my goodness, I don't even I don't even know where to start. We chatted about this on the hash this morning about everything going on in the Ukraine. It's just like it's so it's so heavy. Um, so I uh, I think I'm sorry, guys. I have a I have a cat who's wandering around in the background destroying things. That's not the way I wanted to start off my my show. Um, so we all saw the crypto market slump earlier this week upon news that um, the you know Russia had invaded the Ukraine and everything took a dive there. But it's interesting because the value proposition of cryptocurrency has never been stronger, in my opinion. So, uh, I mean, you, you it was, took a 9% dive on Thursday, which was really, really dramatic, really bounced back since then. But I'm going to go to this tweet from the Wolf of All Streets because he mentions this value proposition of cryptocurrency. He says, the actions of governments around the world are currently the greatest advertisement in history for Bitcoin, Canada freezing bank accounts, Russia threatening to seize citizens' assets, war, inflation, predatory monetary policy. Forget the price, look at the value. And I think this was, I mean, it really summed it up well. We mentioned this on the show yesterday, but it sums it up so well because the value proposition of cryptocurrency is having an uncensorable asset. And uh, I think a lot of people miss that. I think the last few years, you, you know, we've drowned in this price speculation. We're looking at, is the price going to go to a, a million per Bitcoin? Is it going to go to zero? It's kind of these, you know, fights between all these different camps. But the value proposition, as we're learning, is that we have an uncensorable digital asset for the first time in history. And a lot of people don't realize why that's so important until they're affected personally by this or they see something, you know, right up close about why this is um, really important. So we've seen, you know, Canada, we were talking about this yesterday on the show, people's assets getting seized. I mean, currently in the Ukraine, we have people 
doing runs on ATMs that are running out of money, people fleeing the country. There are lines of cars waiting to cross the border there and uh, and people can't get access to their own money. And so it's a terrifying situation if you're fleeing a country and you can't take your assets with you. So the value proposition of crypto is that you can take it with you in your pocket. You know, you don't need wads of cash. You don't need a card that links to a bank account where you need that bank's permission to access your funds. You actually have ownership of it. And I think as we see these heavy handed responses from governments all over the world and, you know, some really scary things going on, that value proposition becomes more and more clear. So, uh, you know, just on that note, I wanted to bring up Patreon actually suspended a donation page for a nonprofit that was giving body armor to the Ukrainian army. So uh, there's this organization. Uh, it is uh, it's called Comeback Alive. This was started in 2014 as a nonprofit to provide equipment for the Ukrainian army. And its Patreon page was receiving hundreds of thousands of dollars uh, as Russia invaded. And most of the donations to the site, even though it's been up since 2014, um, you know, they've been trying to, you know, get the, the Ukrainian military ready since then. It's only in the last 48 hours that the vast majority of those funds have come through. So, um, uh, Patreon went crazy with all of these donations and then they shut their page down. So ba Patreon told CNBC that uh, using the site to support the purchase of military equipment was banned. They said Patreon doesn't allow any campaigns involved in violence or purchasing of military equipment regardless of their cause. So they shut down the campaign. But it just asks the question, if you're trying to get money to a cause that you believe in, how do you do it if these centralized entities are all censored and they all have to abide by certain laws in their countries or maybe they just decide they don't like certain things? There's a real problem with having money being always passed through intermediaries, which is how traditional finance works, right? Traditional payment rails, you have to get permission in order to get the banks to actually access them for you. So people actually started taking to Bitcoin. A, uh, a wallet popped up that started accepting donations. It was actually an older wallet, but again, last 48 hours saw a huge surge in the amount of donations to this wallet address. Um, we, uh, we had an article here that said over $700,000. And then this morning, apparently it surged to over $4 million. Uh, a huge amount of that actually came from one person there. So uh, Jason Nelson tweeted about that for Decrypt Media. Over $4 million has now been received in that uh, wallet. So it's, uh, and Come Back Alive, which is that organization that Patreon shut down, they have actually received most of the crypto donations according to uh, research that was presented. So it really does show us firsthand the value proposition of cryptocurrency. And uh, it's, uh, yeah, very... I, Oh my gosh, I can I just I just want to move this. I have a cat that's like very angry at me. He's like he's attacking things in the background and this is kind of, I'm I can't get up and let you out right now in the middle of the show, so you will have to wait, all right? Um so yeah, the the value proposition is really coming. You have to stop. I'm like Sam, can you hear him like scratching right now? It's pretty loud. You you got to stop. Come here. Let me let me talk All to right. the cat, Naomi. Let me talk. I, let me talk to the let cat. Let me talk to him. Right. I'll, I'll set him straight. <laughs> 
Oh my gosh. So the other thing I wanted to mention about value proposition of crypto, you know, we have these programmable, this programmable money. We have these digital smart contracts, which have all kinds of potential. And we're just starting to figure out what that potential is. So, um, we have political activist and critic of the Russian, uh, president Vladimir Putin, Nadia Todokonikova, who is well known as a founding member of the Pussy Riot. Now she's actually helped set up a DAO to raise money for Ukrainians. She said that the, our goal is to raise funds to donate to Ukrainian civil, civilian organizations who help those suffering from the war that Putin started in Ukraine. We'll be buying an NFT of the Ukrainian flag. So um, I thought that that was really interesting. You know, uh, we have lots of these DAOs popping up to raise money for big causes. What are some of the ben benefits of potentially a DAO? Well, when you send money to a donation, you have to trust that when you, I mean, when you send money to a, one particular organization, you have to trust that they're going to distribute that the way you want, or you have to choose that donation um, charity in advance. Uh, if you have a DAO, you can potentially give money to a cause, and then you're kind of relying on people to vote the same way about how those funds will be distributed. So it makes it more malleable how that can, you know, that those funds can be maneuvered um, which is kind of an interesting proposition. I mean, this is all new territory and we're just exploring how these financial tools work, but very interesting to see that happen. The final thing I'll mention about Ukraine, what's going on, so we have Flexpool, which is the world's fifth largest Ethereum mining pool. They became possibly the first of its kind to cut services to Russian users following the country's invasion of the Ukraine. So they said that the move was taken as a show of solidarity with Ukraine. So Russian users will now be banned from the site. They said, we generally do not get involved in politics despite our personal views as a company. Uh, however, this is greater than politics, greater than anyone. This is a war that may end the world. It certainly is ending the lives of many innocent people in Eastern Europe. So, I mean, there's, there's a lot to dive into there. My, my first take on this is actually, I, I don't agree with their move at all. I don't see this as the Russian people fighting with the Ukrainian people. If you actually look at what's going on in Russia, you see people taking to the streets, protesting this war and this invasion. They, you know, people there don't want to go to war. And so cutting off users of Russia, cutting off the people of Russia, I don't see why we should be punishing them because of the actions of politicians of a country. Um, but a co-host of The Hash this morning, um, David Morris, brought up a great point that it actually is probably a result of sanctions. So there are heavy sanctions sanctions placed on Russia at the moment. And uh, so it's, it is possible that they were looking at that saying, well, actually, we can't legally allow these people to participate um, in this mining pool. So that could be why they're cutting them off. But I think framing it as this is solidarity with Ukraine, this is against all the Russian users, I think is absolutely the, the wrong way to look at it. I really do see this as, you know, egos at the top of nations fighting with each other um, and everyone else ends up to, you know, being collateral. So just... Uh, a uh, little, yeah, it, it, it kind of sad news of everything going on. And then the final thing that I'll mention here, CNN just reported that for the first time ever, the NATO response force has been activated as a defensive measure in response to Russia's ongoing invasion of the Ukraine. We know that Ukraine is not part of NATO. And I think it was yesterday uh, they 
took over the airport in the Ukraine that had two, I think it was Turkish airlines, and Turkey, I believe, is a member of NATO, and so that allowed them to finally activate uh, this NATO intervention there. But I wanted to, I got an interesting email from uh, my friend Jean, who uh, was quoting Thomas Friedman, who was actually quoting the amazingly prescient words of the late foreign policy expert George Kennan uh, from 1988. I just wanted to read this as we sum up this uh, section here, because NATO, I mean, he talks about it as this blindly destructive policy, actually. So Friedman writes that Uh, In 1998, immediately after the Senate ratified NATO expansion, I called George Kennan, the architect of America's successful containment of the Soviet Union, having joined the State Department in 1926 and served as U.S. ambassador uh, to Moscow in 1952. Kennan was arguably America's greatest expert on Russia. Though 94 at the time and frail of voice, he was sharp of mind when I asked his opinion of NATO expansion. Here is Kennan's entire answer. He says, I think it's the beginning of a new Cold War. I think the Russians will gradually react quite adversely and it will affect their policies. I think it's a tragic mistake. There was no reason for this whatsoever. No one was threatening anyone else. This expansion would make the founding fathers of this country turn over in their graves. He continues and says, we have signed up to protect a whole series of countries, even though we have neither the resources nor the intention to do so in any serious way. NATO expansion was simply a lighthearted action by the Senate that has no real interest in foreign affairs. What bothers me is how superficial and ill-informed the whole Senate debate was. I was particularly bothered by the references to Russia as a country dying to attack Western Europe. And then he says, I think this is very important, don't people understand our differences in the Cold War were with the Soviet communist regime and now we're turning our backs on the very people who mounted the greatest bloodless revolution in history to remove that Soviet regime. And Russia's democracy is uh, as far advanced, if not farther, than any of the countries that we've just signed up to defend from Russia. Of course, there's going to be a bad reaction from Russia. And then the NATO expanders will say that we always told you how this is this that this is how the Russians are, but this is just wrong. I just wanted to leave you with that um, because I thought those were pretty powerful words to just think about. I mean, it's a terribly complex situation. I'm not going to pretend to, you know, uh, begin to pretend that um, that I'm an expert in any of this, but just definitely different perspectives to think of. But if you are in one of these countries that is under siege or, you know, you're threatened in any way, I will just remind you that private communication is important. Moxie Spike uh, posted a tweet that said Telegram is the most popular messenger in urban Ukraine. After a decade of misleading marketing and press, most people there believe it's an encrypted app. But the reality is the opposite. Telegram is by default a cloud database with a plain text copy of every message everyone has ever sent or received. I thought that was important to leave you on. Uh, if you are there, I would encourage you to use something like Signal. Uh, it's end-to-end encrypted by encrypted by default. They don't so, store a plain text copy of anything. And there was a little back and forth between Elon and Moxie, where he Moxie goes and who was the former CEO of Signal goes on to explain why it's uh, more encrypted. And Elon had a pretty fun quip. At the end of it, he said, Signal is the least insecure messaging service. I think that's spot on. You're never going to have absolute security in any of these things. Uh, but, oh, sorry. Uh, Moxie was, uh, sorry, I was uh, getting some things in my ear. Um, 
Elon said Signal is the least insecure messaging service. And I think that's spot on because you're never going to have full security in any of these things. Um, and it's just about mitigating where you can. And Signal really does a great job of mitigating and not collecting data and protecting privacy. So on that note, let's end the Ukraine segment and we'll keep you updated on everything going on there. I'm going to go to some exciting news. So uh, I'd like to welcome to the show Joseph McKenney, who's the CEO of Green Earth Zone Inc. Really delighted to have him on here. Uh, welcome to the show, Joseph. And hey, Naomi, it's great to be on. Awesome. So three years ago, you were invited by the Catawba Nation to create a special economic zone. And last week, it actually passed. You've been working on this for a long time, putting together you know, a proposal for how this will all work. So this is pretty exciting on a lot of fronts. Obviously, there are implications of special economic zones. Um, but in particular, this could be a bastion, like a haven for crypto adoption. So I wanted to chat with you about that potential. First of all, walk me through, like, what is a special economic zone? Perfect. That's a great place to start. So a special economic zone is a sub-jurisdiction within a host jurisdiction um, that has different laws that make it attractive for laws and regulations that make it attractive uh, for businesses. Um, really famous examples include um, Shenzhen in, in China uh, and uh, a lot of different zones in Dubai. And uh, those places, you know, previously started out either as uh, small fishing villages or, you know, simply deserts. Within a couple of desert, uh, decades, they have tens of millions of people and GDPs close to um, uh, countries like Ireland, Vietnam or Portugal. Um, it's been incredible how just the power of good institutions and rule of law can create that type of economic growth. And there's been, you know, 5,400 of these things that have popped out all around the world. And they're a very consistent way of spurring economic growth, jobs, and revenue for the nations involved. Um, but up until this point, um, most of them have been entirely physically focused um, and, 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 and focusing on real estate rather than... Um, uh, virtually domiciling, um, you know, companies and allowing them to come and, and do work remotely. There's some examples, but there are very few and far in between. And there has never been a case where a Native American tribe has has done this. Um, but as of Saturday, history was made, and the Catawba Nation was the first, and they're leading um, the world on this front. Yeah, and it's really interesting. I mean, special economic zones, they have such potential and th as you mentioned throughout history have really shown the ability to revive entire areas. So I wanted to dive into um, how this place, the um, Catawba Nation, how they're particularly well poised to, you know, for this sort of a situation. Uh, I mean, walk me through the situation there. They're not subject to to federal law, they have their own sovereignty. Walk me through how that relationship works. So Indian law, uh, American Indian law, as it's called, um, is is unusually complex form of law. Um, however, uh, it, it is a part of the the, the, the federal governance system. So it, it, it's deeply intertwined all the way down to the constitutional level. So yes, federal law does apply, um, but it is done in a very limited way. Um, Congress has to, and, and usually only Congress, has to have very explicit limits on, uh, on tribal authority for it to be removed. Um, and otherwise, um, it is assumed to be retained by the nations involved. Um, and if there's a law, um, and in many cases, um, it is not generally applicable to tribal nations and it has to be explicit 
Uh, one, one really interesting example is a recent Supreme Court case, uh, McGirt versus Oklahoma in 2020. Um, so uh, that case essentially said that because Congress did not explicitly get rid of uh, reservations within Oklahoma and the, you know, the old reservation lines way back in the day, even though it was almost 100 years, or I think more than 100 years after the fact, because they didn't explicitly get rid of it, criminal cases that were tried in those areas actually were under the jurisdiction of the tribe, not, uh, uh, not the state of Oklahoma. And as a consequence, the tribes now have 40% of Oklahoma in terms of criminal jurisdiction. Um, you know, huge consequences. And now we're seeing that all over the United States federal courts are doing that. And in the case of state jurisdiction, um, only if the tribe consents to it do they ever have any jurisdiction over the tribes. So it, it is a, there's a wide range of things you can do. And in the United States, just having state-level authority is huge. You can do a tremendous amount. Um, there's a lot of wonderful things that Wyoming is doing that we're going to be meeting and exceeding. Um, so they have tremendous authority, and you can go even much further. Uh, states, because of um, you know ingrained actors and, uh, and and special interests, they aren't able to go to the fullest extent that they can. But the Catawba, because of they don't have the same entrenched interests as other states do, and because of this framework, are able to move a lot more nimbly than states. Even you know cities, municipal governments like uh, Miami are now becoming renowned and attractive, despite the fact that they have very low level authority. But the nations, they have at least the same level as states, in some cases even higher. Yeah, that's uh, it's super interesting seeing how all these relationships work and what yeah. potential that might lead to have people be able to to create their own regulation. I mean, crypto regulation, I want to go back to that because crypto regulation is super complicated at the federal level. It isn't yeah. clear. You have different government agencies fighting with each other. There's just, I mean, there's there's no clarity at all. And yeah. so uh, I wanted to mention, you know, talk to me about how them setting up a special area that clarifies crypto laws could actually be beneficial and, and help businesses and potentially like attract businesses there to create more jobs, et cetera. Exactly. And this is actually really key. And, uh, you know, a lot of cases with business, it isn't about deregulation. In fact, in many cases, it's simply clarifying regulations and making them solid. Um, and, and, and the most important job right at the get-go is to have a really solid commercial code and then to simply define digital assets underneath that commercial code so any attorneys around the world can know exactly what they're getting into. And that's one of the first things we're going to be doing and something that we're, we're going to be getting some inspiration from Wyoming from is simply defining what a digital asset is under existing law. And again, um, there is some ways that that states or in especially tribes are able to, uh, you know, even go a little further than that um, than currently are, are are playing out. So let's dive into some of the details of what's going on here. And just before I do that, I got a super chat from someone in the in the conversation. So I did want to mention that IT uh, said and responded and said Fed law applies. That is why you see the U.S. Uh, flag fly in the nations. Thank you, IT, for your support and for that clarification. Always uh, really helpful. Uh, but I wanted to go back and dive into the 
specificities of what this special economic zone will entail. So first of all, you you guys phrase it as a GEZ rather than an SEZ. So you're calling it a green economic zone. So I'd love to know the difference between like a special economic zone and a green economic zone, if there is one. But also you say that the GEZ will not only serve companies domestically and internationally, but will create tremendous economic opportunities for our people of the Kataba nation. And anyone in the world will be able to set up an e-corporation online in the GEZ. Like there are lots of things that come into play. So talk to me about some of these specific uh, things. Yeah, totally. So GEZ, um, it's not necessarily a new term. It's just simply the name of the zone. So a uh, green earth, it's actually the piece of property that we intend to actually build out um, after our initial phase, mm. just simply called the green earth site. So uh, we just simply call it green earth zone. Um, and we also do intend to have environmentally friendly procedures and uh, infrastructure that would help make it as green and sustainable as possible. So that's simply the reason why it's called a GEZ. Um, and what was the other, oh, it was about economic development. Oh, just talking about the, yeah, the special thing. So you've got like people can set up an e-corporation online there. What are some other things that people um, uh, like will be able to do? Yeah, absolutely. So yeah, the first step is to ha go through KYC and AML um, and to set up an e-corporation just like any other Delaware Corp, or in case of people who are familiar with the E-Estonia and their program, set up a, a, a company remotely there. And then they do the laws and regulations of, of the nation and also um, the regulatory authority of the zone authority. And from there, you can do everything that a normal company can do, um, but also they're gonna be able to do uh, banking services with digital assets and be able to raise money on our digital platform as well. And we'll be making some announcements about that in the near future. Yeah, it's super exciting. I mean, I look to places like the United States is interesting because states do have a lot of power. I wish they had more power, but they do have a lot of power. So you see different states competing. I mean, you compare Wyoming's crypto law to New York's and it's apples to oranges, right? Wyoming is a trailblazer setting up these special purpose depository institutes, great regulation around cryptocurrency, lots of clarity. New York, they just chased everyone away. There was a mass exodus when they created the bit license. Um, and and so now you have this this zone that you say has power equal to the states, maybe even more so. And so I'm just wondering the potential. Like, can we, I mean, Wyoming's pretty exciting for me, but what is the potential for like crypto adoption in a place like this if they can get the regulation right? Well, it, it, the really important part is is a mixture of two things: one, stability and clarity under just normal existing laws understood by uh, attorneys and businesses around the world, but paired with a nimble governing body, a regulatory body. And that's something that you can't really get with states. You have, you know, Wyoming, it's one of the smallest states in terms of population, that's 300,000 people. Um, you're going to have a lot of special interest there and, and entities are going to move a lot slower. But the beautiful thing about special economic zones and our uh, project in, in, in particular is the ability to work nimbly and as technology like digital assets is moving very quickly, they're able to cater regulations to that uh, adjusting changes in technology. Yeah, it's it's really interesting. So what is the timeline for all of this? You said that you guys have, you put the proposal forward like three years ago, you got this started. And then only last week, this was finally approved. So now you can move forward with different plans. What's the timeline look for encouraging businesses to move there? What are the next things uh, that are planned? So right now what we're doing is we're setting up uh, the zone authority itself, which is the governing body. And we're going to be doing that based on best practices and regulatory bodies from around the world, including the United States. 
Um, and you know, shortly after that, we're going to be ability to register companies. And we're hoping that that's going to happen within 35 day period. And that would include a, a closed alpha. Um, so the ability to people to initially register companies. Right. This is uh, this is pretty exciting. I'm I'm glad you reached out about this news. I'm excited to see more places start to um, to get clarity around regulations so that businesses can actually thrive there rather than live in an age of uncertainty where they don't know whether you know someone's going to outlaw something the next day or the SEC is going to come in and call something a security. And it's not actually the first um, Native American. Uh, cryptocurrency uh, work that that I've seen back in I think 2013, Marzacoin came around. Are you familiar with that at all? I remember I, I interviewed uh, the creator of that at the time, and it was like 2013 was early, early days of creating altcoins, right? And uh, they were creating this coin as a way of of um, of generating funds for the community and getting involved in crypto, trying to encourage crypto adoption. I mean, it's very, it's very interesting uh, seeing that. But like, what's your take on all of that, and uh, and what in comparison to what you guys are doing? Well, so um, any attempt of of, of any uh, uh, citizen of a nation to do something for economic empowerment. 110%, they should go ahead and do it. And I'm, I'm glad for the project. Uh, and that, yes, I, I think if the project may have fell victim to, um, you know, just that wave that was happening in 2017. And hopefully it'll pick up again uh, in, in this new age. But the core difference is um, this isn't a token. Um, what this is, is, mm-hmm. is for a, a nation to take on the mantle that they have the right to, which is to govern. The ability to 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 regulate um, businesses consistent with federal law, uh, you know, all 110 percent above board. In fact, to regulate better than other agencies, but in a way that obeys best practices, that reduces costs for businesses, and has a a user friendly experience for businesses, and provides clarity in an industry that's just muddled. Um, so uh, that's essentially the difference. Um, that that's a coin. This is a jurisdiction, a Native American tribe taking the reins and responsibility of, you know, balancing between their their obligations with the federal government and their right to to rule and provide a good business environment for their customers. For sure. And I liked what you said earlier. This isn't about deregulation. This is about clarifying regulation. I think that's spot on and greatly needed. I did want to go. We got another another super chat there. So Anthony Monejo says, can we vote on the blockchain and become a citizen? I, I love no. that. And thank you so much for your support, <laughs> uh, Anthony. So I'm going to throw this to you, Joe. Why not? Why can't we vote on the blockchain and become a citizen? Well, for, for one, I mean, every nation determines their, their citizenship. Um, but ultimately, mm-hmm. uh, in many tribes, including the Catawba, that's done by, uh, you know, blood. And essentially, there's a, there's a federal uh, registration uh, rules that determine what blood is. And ultimately, sovereignty is determining who's part of a citizenship. What the Catawba are doing is providing a space where they can govern non-members who enter into a consensual relationship with them. But that's not citizenship. That's not voting. That's their sovereign responsibility that they get to exercise. Yeah, for sure. And uh, yeah, thank you very much, Anthony, for that question and for the super chat. Well, this has been super interesting, uh, Joseph. I'm going to be keeping an eye on this and see what develops there, what rules are put into place. I, I feel like Wyoming at this stage has just kind of written the playbook and everyone else just needs to kind of copy it. <laughs> Their regulation is so good uh, and it's so clear. So I'm, I'm really hoping to see it happen all over, uh, all over the globe, just have these areas set up clarity 
prosperity. And I'm very excited to see what's happening with the Catawba Nation. But thank you so much for, um, for coming on the show and chatting to me about it. This has been great. Of course, it's always a pleasure. Thank you so much. All right. Well, everyone, that wraps up our Friday show for this week. This was Crypto Beat, and I am so delighted that all of you have chatted with me. Thank you for the super chats. Thank you for the likes and subscribing. Make sure that you hit that like before you go. It does help us in the algorithm. YouTube isn't always favorable <laughs> to crypto streams or privacy streams. So this does help get us seen by more people and uh, really bumps up our viewer numbers. So thank you to everyone. If you haven't liked, hit that before you head out of the chat and don't forget to subscribe to the channel. And we, as I mentioned at the start of the show, come to you every Thursday and Friday. We have a live show on Thursday called Privacy Beat, where we dive into everything privacy that you need to know about. And that's at four o'clock Eastern time. And then on Fridays, we have four o'clock Eastern time for Crypto Beat, talking about all things crypto. Go and enjoy your weekend. And if you do have family or friends in the middle of a conflict zone right now, please, you know, your my prayers are with them. My thoughts are with them. Stay safe. Stay protected use encrypted chat use self-sovereign money all of that they're important tools and we're starting to realize the real value of it so spread the word and go and have yourself a wonderful rest of the weekend thank you for joining us